Okay. Well, good morning. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for, for your prayers. Uh, we, we've got, obviously, a vision here at Abbey Church to be strong, secure, committed, and growing. And uh, in this message today, I'd like to emphasize a little bit of uh, the security we can have in being a Christian and in Christ. And I've titled it, uh, Family Fortunes is the message, uh, A Believer's Position in the Family of God. So, as Scripture reveals in Genesis, we are, as humans, made in the image of God. Now, mankind is in a fallen state, and we do not reflect our Creator truly or fully, perhaps, in most respects. But in others, we do see glimpses of Him in all of us. I mean, for example, all humans are moral beings. Everyone has that inbuilt sense of right and wrong, of good and evil. And God is a moral being, the source of all morality. Uh, Another example, we're all relational beings. We find happiness and contentment when we're in relationships with each other. We're meeting together as a congregation to worship God as a community in relationship. We have relationships through marriage. And we find happiness there. And we tend to seek and long for relationships if we're left on our own. And God exists. We represent God in this way. He exists in Trinity. He exists as three distinct persons in a set of living, loving relationships, continually in relationship. And we, we show that in ourselves, don't we, by seeking that relationship or a relationship. And so, all mankind can make a sort of general claim to be children of God. But what does it mean to be adopted into the family of God? What things change in our relationship with God once we become a Christian? So, uh, if you want to put your fingers or somebody else's finger or body part in that passage that Andy read, because I'm actually going to speak from a different passage, but uh, if you can burn that passage in your mind, it just saved me a lot of time with Andy reading it. And uh, I'm going to speak from uh, Galatians, Galatians 3, verses 26 to 27, and in the Church Bibles you'll find it on page 1170. One one seven zero. Galatians three verses twenty. It's actually twenty three. No, it's not twenty six to twenty nine. Okay, twenty six to twenty nine. So Paul writes, "In Christ you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus." If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Right, well, Paul, in his writing, mentions the word all three times there. So his message is, of course, it was to the church in Galatia, the believers at the time, but God's word is living. And it's also relevant to us now, to all who believe now, and to all who will believe in the future. It transcends time, doesn't it? So it's relevant to us all. And verse 26, we're going to start with, you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So what is this faith in Christ Jesus? What does faith mean? Well, it's not what the modern dictionaries will have you believe or what's written in there, which uh, they will quote something along the lines of, 
Faith is a belief without foundation. Or it's a belief not based on proof or material evidence. No, 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 that is blind faith. Biblical faith is this. It comes from the Greek word pistis, and it is, as, uh, as HarperCollins will, will tell you, as you, if you read their dictionary, it's a belief in something known to be true, or a belief in someone or something trustworthy. And that's where we're getting this word faith in the Bible from. That is where our faith comes from. So what is this faith in Christ that makes us children of God? What does it entail? Well, it's a belief in who he claimed to be, the Son of God, God the Son. It's a belief in what happened to him, his death, burial, and resurrection from the dead. It's a faith in trust in him as our personal Savior and Lord of our lives. And if we have this faith, Paul tells us now, we are children of God. So what are the differences from being called a child of God here and the general term I used at the start in my uh, introduction? Well, we'll find out a little bit later. Verse 27 says, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. So it follows that for all who have faith in Jesus, they're then commanded by him and they follow that command, symbolizing our old self dying and being buried in baptism. And then we're being raised through the water to a new life in Christ. And with this new life comes a new father, a new position in the family. Uh, In Galatians, again, Paul writes, Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. But what does this term clothed in Christ mean? It's a bit of a strange one. What what does it mean when you're clothed in Christ? Well, we could open a passage and say, perhaps we're putting on the armor of God. We're clothed in that way. But no, that's not what it means here. The ESV version comes up with a a slightly different take. It says, you have put on Christ. And in Colossians, Paul writes, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So what does it mean? Well, we're going to now think about that passage that Andy read, but before then, I'm just going to show, chuck up three pictures and uh, see what you see first of all there, where you see that picture. So do you see the young lady with the dark hair here and her nose and ears? Or do you see the old lady with the white hair and her chin and her mouth here? Two pictures in one. Can I have another one, Alan, please? Okay, what do, you, what do we see there? Do we see a, an old gentleman, maybe, with his hand in his, in his breast? Or do we see, it's a little bit timid, and I'm going to be in the way here, a gentleman here and a lady here. Do we see them both? Another, two images in one picture. And again, this one. How many images can we see here? One, two, three. Two old people cuddling under a blanket. Or can you see the golden chalice in the middle? Or can you see the chap playing the guitar and the chapel lady holding a jar on her head and another lady poking out of the, uh, of the doorway there? So three images in one. 
And this Genesis passage, thank you, Alan, this Genesis passage that we read earlier, that we, we listened to earlier, there's more than one picture going on here. There's more than one story going on. Yes, it was an actual story, an historical event. But there's other things going on. So what we see in this passage is the underserving, unnatural heir of Isaac's blessing to his firstborn receives that blessing. The blessing of the promise of God to the, the seed of Abraham, Isaac's father. The promise that through your seed all nations shall be blessed. The promise of and for the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior to come. And how? Well, what, what, did, uh, what did Jacob do? He clothed himself, didn't he? Clothed himself as Esau, the rightful firstborn and heir of that promise. He's put on Esau's clothes, the heir's clothes, and he's received that blessing. And in verse 33, there's no changing of the mind there. Indeed, he will be blessed. There's no, there's no returning, there's no reneging on that promise. If it wasn't right in God's sight, he would have later on found a way, of course he would, to change it. So just so, when we become a Christian, having faith and being born again, this is what happens. We put on or clothe ourselves or hide in Christ. Which means when God looks at me or you, he doesn't see our undeserving sinful status. He sees Christ. His beloved Son's righteousness covers us. And he pours out his blessing on us, the blessing of and for the heir. The firstborn Son who is over all creation, the blessing and inheritance of all that is Christ's. And it is for us too. We are clothed in him. We will receive that blessing of the firstborn. We do receive. You have received that blessing. But uh, this only happens and can only happen because of our Lord's great sacrifice of atonement on the cross. And we see yet another picture in that Genesis passage. A picture of an event, of an event to come that would in itself be a picture of Christ's work for us. In verses 8 and 9 of the Genesis passage. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out into the flock and bring me two choice goats so that I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. And in verse 16, she also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with the goat skins. So where do we see a picture of two goats elsewhere in the Bible, in the, in the Old Testament? Well, if you want to find a richness and a picture of Christ all the way through, then we'll soon turn to Leviticus. And the Day of Atonement. Leviticus 16, which is in page 119 of your Bibles. If you like, there's just three verses that I'm going to read. Leviticus 16, verses 7 to 10. Aaron the priest. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it as a sin offering. But the goat chosen by lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord 
to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. So what happens there with the two goats? One goat is sacrificed and killed to the Lord. What was happening with Jesus on the cross? The other goat is sent away, right out of the camp, completely away from God's presence, never to return. And that goat had all the sins of the entire Israel prayed over it before it was sent away. So a sacrifice was made to God, and the other goat took the camp's sins far away, never to return from his presence. A beautiful picture of Christ. And I think we have a glimpse of that by using these two goats. Why, other, why else mention the two goats? Why would his mother say, listen to me carefully, bring two goats? Okay, Genesis 3 is another picture. Just a small picture of a sacrifice made by the Lord and a covering made, wasn't it, to hide Adam and Eve's shame at the fall of man. They were naked before God. The first sacrifice ever that we hear of. And animals are used to cover the shame of mankind in a fallen state. So back to the Galatians passage, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And of course that has connotations and richness brought up in the 1 Corinthians passage. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. And so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, all believers are in Christ and form the one body, the church. And this gives us another picture of this family position we're going to have, or we have, and we hold in God. The church, in other pictures and passages in the Bible, is pictured as being betrothed or married to Christ, the bridegroom. And at the consummation of any marriage, the two people, we are told, become one, become one flesh, are united. And just as we are to Christ, we are united to Christ. When we're united, this new life starts. And at that time, in any marriage unless you have a prenuptial, of course. Any birthright or inheritance the husband has is immediately and lawfully transferred and bestowed onto his wife. So, let's say, if a king marries a prostitute, at the immediate time of marriage, she immediately becomes queen. Straight away. Yes, she'll grow to become more queenly in time as she grows into a role and matures into a role but she becomes queen immediately. So it is with us. We take that position immediately. Verse 29. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Well, this this verse confirms what we were reading in Genesis. We are heirs according to the promise of Abraham's seed, which was bestowed onto Jacob, as a picture of the promise and inheritance to come to the Savior, to Christ. Any Christian is Abraham's seed. So we have seen how we become true children of God through faith, trusting in Christ. But but so what? Does it really matter if we become children of God or not? What's the end game here? Well, Jesus says it plainly, doesn't he? I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. No one. Paul's letter to the Galatians gives this same warning. He reminds them in this passage of the glorious position they have in God's family in Christ, but also gives stark warnings of trying to achieve this by yourself, by good works. There's no other way. You can't get there by obeying the commandments or the law. I mean, who could, who could obey them? Didn't Jesus say about murder? You have heard that it was said long ago that you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is even angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And again, about adultery, isn't it? You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery. There's no way to God, to the relationship with God, to eternity with God, apart from through Christ. Now, the law was put in place to point out sin and condemn it, to help us realize that, yes, we do need a saviour. Without him, we're hopeless. We're in a hopeless position before a holy God. The good news is, of course, that Savior has come. Jesus did live the sinless life that we can't and gave it up for us so we can have that eternal father-son relationship with our God. And so there's two ways, isn't there? We can remain in Adam's family with the family fortune or inheritance of being a slave to the law A slave of being self-right, trying to be self-righteous, to be eventually condemned by God. Or we can take up our family fortune, our inheritance of freedom in Christ. He gives us his position as a child of God by making us right with God. And that's why Paul can write in his letter to the Romans. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. This is how Jesus puts it himself. In his prayer for all believers, just before he went to the cross, we find in John 17, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that, and this is it. This is amazing. In order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. We are loved as much by God as Christ is himself. What did God say when Jesus, when he looked down, that voice came down from heaven, this is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We are in that inheritance as brothers and sisters and sons of God. We're in the same position in the family. We have the same blessing from the Father and we'd loved just as much. So quicker than I expected, we're going to come to, uh, we're going to sing a last song. But before we sing this song, uh, I'm going to read the last verse of it. And can it be? So we can really sing this with a verve and power.
no condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him my living head. And clothed in righteousness divine. So now bold I can approach the eternal throne. And claim the crown through Christ my own. So if we are already Christians, we can feel that security, the security that we have of being true children of God. And if you're not a Christian today, perhaps it's something that just sounds amazing, something that you want. Well, please, don't leave it like that. Come and see somebody. Talk to somebody who's brought you today. You can have it now. Remember the story I gave of the prostitute and the king. As soon as that marriage takes place, she becomes a queen. Thank you. We'll sing and can it be.